Hi, I'm Jessica. And I'm David. And this is Passports and Birth Control, a couple's take on international travel. Now, our YouTube viewers are going to notice an immediate, obvious difference that our podcasters aren't going to. I am pregnant. This this wasn't an accident. This was not a case of forgotten birth control. This was planned. And we're very excited to welcome our second child later this spring. Now, that brings us to the obvious passage of time since the filming of our last episode. And that's because of the elephant in the room, the pandemic. Right. Now, we intended to release this back last summer when we started filming, but then Omicron and Delta... We've been trying to launch this podcast for a while now, and the pandemic meant, well, we can't talk about international travel while everyone is locked down. Right. So we held off, we waited. Last summer, it looked like things were good, and then Delta hit, and then Omicron, and we thought, okay, well, let's hold off. And then all of a sudden, Omicron seemed to be fading. It's like everyone's opening up again. So the travel restrictions are being lifted. All right, it's time to travel abroad. And then the Ukrainian invasion. Right. So we decided that rather than uh, talk about the order of trips that we took, because we took a big, long trip in 2016, and a lot of this content's going to be from that, the halfway point of that trip was Kiev. Right. And so we decided, well, let's talk about Kiev early because everyone's thinking about it. Everyone's worried about it. And I think it's top of mind. So we decided to just go ahead and lead with that. And so we'll just resume for our, our original starting point starting next week. Uh, but we really wanted to get Kiev early. So a little bit of history. Uh, in 2014, the Ukrainians rose up against their government, which was aligned with Russia. They didn't want to be aligned with Russia. They wanted to be aligned with Europe. So they rose up, very violent uprising, but they successfully overthrew their government. In response to that, Russia invaded Crimea. And this sort of brings us to the invasion of today. Uh, in a lot of ways, Russia wanted to rewrite that, right. go back to before 2014. And so this is one of the reasons that there's a lot of killing and death going on. It's such a tragic situation. But the Ukrainians essentially took their country and said, you know what, we're no longer going to be aligned with Russia. We want to be a part of Europe. So we want to, again, we hope this doesn't come across as insensitive. We support the Ukrainians. We support Kiev. We love Kiev. Uh, we, we love uh, what the city is. And we worry about its integrity. And so forgive because us. Because we want Kiev to be the Kiev we fell in love with. Right. So forgive us for doing a podcast about a city that unfortunately might, you know, some of these places might be damaged in the future. God forbid. But we're hoping that what you can take away from this episode is an excitement about a city that one day we can go back to. Yes. And we can see these wonderful things that maybe they existed in the past and they no longer exist. Or hopefully these things will still be there when you can visit Kiev. Absolutely. One last thing. It's Kiev, not Kiev. Right. So, Kiev is the Russian pronunciation. Right. And I accidentally say Kiev all the time. And so forgive me for that. Uh, we grew up saying Kiev because that's what the Russians said the city is. The Ukrainians, however, like to say Kiev because that's how you say it in their language. And so, so we are retraining ourselves. And so we are going to actively and consciously try to say Kiev. We are going to make mistakes and forgive us for those. Right. So Kiev, not Kiev. Now, our initial impression of the city when our plane landed was a sign which said, do not bribe the officials. This is a sign we hadn't seen in any other place. I didn't Never. even see it in China. Right. Anytime you have a sign against something, it's because that thing has happened in the past. Now, we never had issue with this. We never had an official ask for a bribe, suggest a bribe. We barely saw an official to bribe, not that we would have tried. <laughs> right, but it, you can tell there is a problem because there is a sign. 
And so that was our initial impression. And and, and so, you know, just be aware there it, the, Ukraine isn't perfect uh, right. to be to be there fair. There are holdovers from the Soviet era. Now, part of that wonderful, awful dichotomy is this spirit and the character it gives Kiev. Now, we stayed in this wonderful, big, very affordable apartment right off Maiden Square. And as a dichotomous view of the communism, capi- capitalism, our apartment was right next door to a McDonald's. Right. If you look at those live streams that they've been showing of, of uh, Kiev, of Independence Square, Maiden Square, um, if you panned just to the left, that would be our apartment. Right. Extremely affordable. Very Extremely much affordable. in the middle of everything. And we spent a two-week break in the middle of this long Europe trip in Ukraine, in Kiev, to give ourselves a chance to rest and recharge because travel is exhausting, especially on a long trip like we had taken. Right. We spent the first two days just sitting in the apartment watching YouTube or something like that. Right. It was just a very, very slow, we needed to relax. And so we spent less money on two weeks in this fantastic two-bedroom apartment. Amazing apartment. And less than that than a loft without a bathroom Mm. in Paris for five days. We'll come back to Paris later. So the first thing we did when we left our fantastic apartment was we went to the Motherland Monument. Now, it's also the first thing you see, really, when you get into the heart of Kiev, because it's unavoidable. It's this big steel statue that looks like a... Angry Statue of Liberty. Social realism is the... Socialism realism is the art form, yeah. And it's very stark, very austere, but very powerful. And this is a, uh, a Statue of Liberty looking thing with a sword held high in the air, point upwards, and a shield in the other hand. And you think, wow, that's fantastic. But then you get closer, you see there's a sickle and hammer on the shield, the, the symbol of communism, the right. symbol of the Soviet Union. There's all these sickles and hammers all over Kiev. And I, I think a lot of them are historical, so they don't really want to get rid of them, or they cost too much to get rid of them. But it's a complicated history there, and, and a lot of these were built by the Soviet Union. So the, the Russia sees them as sort of a monument. You know, For instance, there's a monument in Berlin that uh, the Russians do not want taken down because it's, it's honoring the Soviet soldiers who fought, fought and died there. Right. So there's similar situations in Kiev, but they're really complicated, especially now, because it's essentially a bunch of signposts that say this was once Russian territory, or at least Soviet territory. Which is not something Ukraine necessarily wants anymore. And it makes you a little bit uncomfortable. So just be warned, uh, assuming that they're still there. Right. Then you see a lot of sickles and hammer th- hammers there. Um, but one thing you also see is underneath this victory monument, this, this motherland monument, is a World War II museum. Which is phenomenal. It's got all this socialist realism. Right, it's a great museum. It's got all this great stuff. And, and, you know, out front of the museum, they've got Russian tanks parked there. But they're not World War II tanks. No, they're modern. They're from the Crimean War. And when we were there, Russia denied and still denies that it was actually Russian forces moving into Crimea. They said that it was separatists in London. And there were signs on these tanks debunking these claims, like this has, them This out. is a serial number from a factory in Russia. This had to have come from a factory right. in Russia. There's no way this is not Russian. And, of course, Russia would deny it. So it was very surreal being in a city that is essentially in an active war. Under siege, almost. But it's not 
it's nearly as bad as it is now. No, of course, we're not course in not. any way implying that it was as, as bad as that. But you knew that only a few hundred miles away, there were Ukrainian soldiers fighting Russian soldiers. Right. And today, that's in the streets of Kiev. So it, it, it was, it was a, a bit surreal to do that. And, and the Ukrainians were just trying to tell the world, look, we're fighting this battle. Pay attention. We're, we're still, But we're also allowing tourists to come in and rent apartments. And, and so there was that spirit of look where we are, look where we were in the past, look where we are today. Right. Now that brings us to Ukraine's past, which is phenomenally beautiful and interesting. And part of that... Very old, too. Very old. Part of that was a place we went to and I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but I'm going to do my best, uh, Pechersk Lavra. Now, this is a cultural and historical reserve. Part of that is the Santa Sofia Cathedral, which is this amazing monastery compound we got to tour. Right. The cathedral itself was modeled after the St. Sophia Cathedral in what was then Constantinople, right. which is Istanbul now. And so it's a kind of a miniature version of the what, you, what we call today the Hagia Sophia. Which you'll recall from our Istanbul episode. Now, part of this uh, monastic compound is the catacombs, which we got to tour with a guide who is of the Eastern Orthodox religion. And as she took us through and showed us these wonderfully ornate and beautiful coffins with these... Well, the thing about the, the catacombs is they claim that the saints that are buried there do not uh, decompose. They're not decomposed in the sense of... They're decomposed. Kind of, right. They're mummified. Yeah, they look like you know mummified hands. You know, very well preserved. Very well preserved. These are seven, eight hundred year old bodies. Some of them, and they don't. The tour guide said they could stand up and walk out, and uh, not really they're not quite that well preserved. But they are incredibly well preserved, and to look at them isn't so much to look as a, at a corpse as it is to look at a mummy, which makes it incredibly fascinating. Now, most of these had glass tops, so you could see into the coffins. But seeing the beautiful way they dress these saints is actually a beautiful window into their culture. Yeah, it's not history. just a coffin, it's like a relic, it's a sanctified yes. object. And so, of course, this is a place of active worship. Be respectful. Mm -hmm. Always drive that home. Yeah, Be they didn't respectful. have any electric lights. You walk in and they give you a little thin taper. And so everything is candlelit. It's very surreal, really neat. And it does not have the paper guards or plastic guards you're used to seeing around these little tapers. Yeah, so you're just dripping wax all over your hand and watching as you go into these caves where right. you could very easily lose your way. So right. it's, you have to have a guide. They won't Follow let you in without guide. a guide. It's a cave dug into this big hill where this monastery is. Right, and again, beautiful. So this guide, she took us through these catacombs and told us about these saints and the, the church. And as a token of her respect, she would kiss these coffins as she de uh, departed from them. But it wasn't like a kiss the rosary kind of kiss. It was very much a loud smack. She went like, like, like she, it was a romantic kiss in a lot of ways. Which, which for those of us who don't practice, it was a little uncomfortable. It, I, I was confused by the, by the gesture. I thought that was, that, that was an, like a very devout gesture uh confusing more than anything but just you know so if you're in that situation just be prepared don't you know don't it's, think it's weird it's it, just her way of expressing her faith and her devotion genuine affection for the saintly department right so again it is an active place of worship show respect even if you don't believe that way so this was the oldest part of kiev actually it was the hill where kiev essentially was founded and this monastery was some guy dug a hole in the cave and said, look, look I'm going to be a, mon a monk. And a bunch of people thought that was really neat ideas. So they all established there and that's where the monastery came from. So that's the oldest 
monastery in Prishak Lavra. Um, one of the newer historical things that we did in Kiev was we went to the Chernobyl Museum. So for those of you who don't know, in the 1980s, Chernobyl, a nuclear power plant, exploded, um, and it was not far from Kiev. No, it was in Pripyat. Right, and so a lot of the radioactive fallout actually fell on Kiev, and so residents there still remember it. You can take tours to it. We or, did not. It is still an active war zone right now, though, so it's, it, and we just felt uncomfortable and uh, disrespectful to... People died there. We did not want to come across as disrespecting the people who lost right. their so lives. So dark, dark tourism isn't really That's our thing. That's not our thing. But we wanted to go to the museum because it's a great place to learn. And at that museum, they've got some artifacts. Thankfully, they've been cleared of radiation. And they had very thick glass we right. crossed them down. So it was less like literal artifacts. They had a few things, but it was more an educational experience well, telling you about it. there were radiation suits used by the um, liquidation crew. Right. So just to, to reassure you, the radioactivity at this museum isn't that bad. We have had two kids since being there. Two so, healthy boys. So, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting museum, but I don't think you're in any danger there. Right. But it's, so it's more educational. They've got these artifacts, the... The, the clothing that at one point might have been radioactive. And it is heartbreaking to see, to know that these ended people's lives. Mm -hmm. And we were out there near the Chernobyl Museum. One thing that surprised us, Kiev still has so many of those signs of Soviet occupation, which is probably one of the reasons why, you know, if I were occupied by Soviets and they left such a damaging mark on my city, I would certainly resent the country where Absolutely. they came from. Absolutely. So it's very easy to see where this resentment of Russia comes from. And one of the things that was really interesting, there's a bridge, a, f a significant-sized bridge over the Dnieper River, and it's unfinished. They had the tower on either end of the of the river, which is very wide, very shallow, but very wide. And when we first saw it, we thought it was still under construction. Oh, that's a neat-looking bridge. They're going to build it and finish it soon. But when we left the Chernobyl Museum, we wanted to go look at this bridge up close, and we realized that it's not under construction. They just stopped building it a long time ago. Right. It was it had rust. It had weeds. Concrete barriers that were not temporary they were permanent barriers oh, yeah. saying don't go over this bridge you'll fall into the river and so it's just the whole project got abandoned and it kind of looks like there are so many signs that you can see well the soviet union just kind of collapsed and left and the ukrainians have been left in the lurch for Ever so long since. And, and in a lot of ways with this invasion of ukraine and then now it's it's like the ukrainians have never been able to catch a break They've never been able to, 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 to run their own country, never been able to run their own city in a way that can get rid of these old scars. And you kind of saw a little bit of that malaise, but I think what we see glimpses of it is this patriotism and, and an urge to do better. We're not going to be Chernobyl. We're Almost not going to... desperation to be their own people. So you can definitely see the fighting spirit... Oh, definitely. It's just been suppressed for so long. I mean, it's just such a depressing, you know, scars in, in the architecture, scars in the infrastructure. While we were there, we happened to spend the 4th of July holiday. Yeah, now, se segue into patriotism. Yeah, segue into patriotism. Now, we had been abroad for quite some time at this point, and we just wanted to meet up with an American, have a cheeseburger, kind of a 4th so of July. Surely there's a, an American in Kiev we can wish for happy 4th of July, happy Independence Day, too. Right. Now, part of our um, 4th of July celebrations, I have a deathly fear of heights. <laughs> I 
And so my loving husband said, hey, let's take your fear of heights and zip line over six lanes of traffic the Nipper River. I didn't acknowledge her, her fear of heights. I just really wanted to take a zip line. And I thought, oh, well, it's safe. It's fine. It's So at the time, now, unfortunately, I have no idea if this still exists. I'd be surprised. You can take a zip line across the river. Now, remember I said it's extremely wide. Very shallow. Very shallow. But they had strung a zip line from either end of it, and it was huge. It was like, I think, $20 to, to ride that. this thing. Who knows what it's now? But you get in this zip line, and you go clear across the river. And it's a legit, safe zip line. Yeah, a, no problem. A seat-type harness. I think they put helmets on us. Right, so we were saying, okay, there's a park over on the other side, so there's this convenient zip line we can take to get across the river. So I swallowed my fear of heights, I did not look down, and we made it across. And it was a wonderful, fun, exhilarating experience. And if it is still there, or if it's rebuilt, I, despite my fear of heights, I have <laughs> to highly recommend it. The problem is, when that we got said, there, we, we had lunch we did have at lunch. this park, and then we found a ropes course. We found this ropes course. And For those of you who have never been on a ropes course, it's essentially suspended uh, obstacles in an air in the air, like they tie a bunch of uh, uh, swinging boards to trees and maybe platforms. Maybe 15 you have to, to 20 feet off the ground. Right, so it's, it's a, a very common thing here in the States, and it was a thing that was there, and it looked fun, and I've done one before, and I thought it'd be fun. It is supposed to be safe. It is. You're supposed to be strapped into a harness and there's a guideline above you. Right. You're clipped onto this guideline that keeps you from falling and being injured. And so we make it through the first few obstacles. I'm, my knees have turned to jello because again, I have this tremendous fear of heights. I keep on egging her on. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. It's fun. We're having fun. We're having fun. Now at one point on this ropes course, we've reached a point where you're supposed to jump across, but it is too far to jump. So you need to rely on your safety harness, which is a no, no in ropes courses. Your safety harness is for emergencies, not to utilize in a course. And so I freeze because this is so far beyond. I cannot will myself to jump off this platform and go. And I'm standing on the platform. Like what's the trick to this thing? It's a long jump. You could take a run and jump and still maybe not make it. And I don't want to slam against the tree. And, and we didn't have space for running jump. Meanwhile, a guide had gone ahead of us to show us how to get through the ropes course. He went real quick, just sped through all the courses. We didn't see how he got through this bit, but he had reached the end by then. As I'm standing on this platform, trying to will myself to make the jump, we hear this snap. And then a... And he hits the ground. The course broke under him. Yeah, so he would use the way it works is you zip line to the ground and yay, I finished. Well done. It didn't end that way for him. He was midair and the zip line guide wire snapped off of the whatever holding it was in and he hit the ground. And it was he hit the ground in a very unique way. He tumbled and then he got up and started living. He's like, I'm good. Like he didn't even say a word. And so I turned to Dave and I said, get me down. <laughs> so we're freaking out. We're like, okay, well, even if we successfully completed this course, our way down is now compromised. Right. So they come over with a ladder. They get us down. David offers them some money. I think it was... Uh, I offered... Well, you didn't actually pay in advance. Right. You paid at, at completion. Like, you pay when you complete it. So I, off, I was like, okay, well, it cost like $10 or something, which I should have known was too <laughs> cheap to begin with. So I offered them the money for what we were supposed to, and the guy kind of... Shook it off. It's like, you don't have to pay me. <laughs> I'm very embarrassed about this thing. Uh, and, and I don't no idea if the guy broke his leg, but he I went... I hope he's okay. He went and sat down. They were playing cards, and he just sat down, lit a cigarette, and just kind of... A very Ukrainian <laughs> attitude. My leg's fine. I didn't fall out of the tree. No big deal. So 
I started to conquer my fear of heights and had a setback. That said, tremendously fun experience doing the proper safe zip line over the Dnieper River. Yeah, thank you to that Ukrainian guy who, you know, took the literal fall for us yes. and made sure that the thing was unsafe before we got on it. <laughs> right. Now, of course, after this experience, we checked out the Ukrainian food scene. We looked for some craft beer. We found some pretty good craft beer. We're not really vodka people. You might have heard on the news that a lot of the breweries were making uh, Molotov cocktails. Right. We tried a few of them. There are several that are there. The lighter beers tend to be the better ones. The darker beers, pretty darn good. Uh, Eastern European beer tends to be darker, grainier, less hoppy. Very very malty, almost bread-like. Yeah, nice, satisfying uh, bread-like quality. Uh, good pretzels. Oh, yes. Yeah, we had a, a, a meal of, like, quail uh, at one point at a brewery. It was good. It was a little greasy. There yeah. was a lot of grease in Ukrainian food, but overall, tasty. Tasty and affordable. That's the other affordable, thing. You can eat yes. like a king in Kiev and not spend that much money. Now, again, this was 4th of July. We wanted to find an, uh, just a, a cheeseburger. And we found one at all places at an Irish pub. Everyone, every city's got an Irish pub. They make songs about that. Everyone's got an Irish pub. So uh, we're at the Kiev Irish pub, and we find an American. American. Yay, yay, happy Independence Day. And so we he was very, very yeah, intoxicated. Yeah, we found an intoxicated American at an Irish pub in Kiev on the 4th of July. How fun was that? It really was. So as I said, we were there for two weeks. So after spending some time relaxing, eating, going to the breweries, just hanging out, there were f several other churches. St. Michael's was phenomenal. Right. The, just the, the paintings up and down these these ancient cathedrals, you have to see all of them. And Absolutely. Th there's a lot of them to see, so it's a lot of fun to go see those. But we realized that we kind of run out of things to do, but there was a music festival coming up. Yes. We were really excited. We discovered it by accident. We saw a poster in a grocery store of all things. And so we decided we would have to go to this place because the headliner band was Muse. So we went to Muse, and it was a festival at the soccer stadium that they had right. in Kiev. And they had some opening bands that were great. Some there folk was, bands. Some of the best food we had was actually at that, which... Keep that in mind because coming back, to, <laughs> coming back to the food element. So we had some great craft beer at the place as well. And so it just was a great festival atmosphere. Some we spent good cocktails. Good cocktails. We spent all day at this music festival. And then at like 10 o'clock at night, Muse comes on. Right. And it's phenomenal. They bring down the house. Everyone's screaming. It's great. Except for one song. They played Uprising, which is my favorite Muse song. Oh, I love Muse. Uh, I love Uprising. It's about ra ra Uprising and resisting... Uh, oppression, resisting the man, resisting those in power. I thought, you're singing a song called Uprising in a city that literally had an uprising. Not that long Not ago. Not that long ago. And it was successful. And they took back their city. And you could feel the energy. Like, yes, we had an uprising. Just play that song, Muse. Muse dialed it in. It was very suppressed. And I thought, you know... From this... the band, not the people. Yeah, the people were so excited. They were into it. And I was into it. But... Not a lot of, like, oof to it. And right. It just, you know, you think about it, they, they was just the three guys on the stage, the, the the pageantry of it was a little underwhelming. I don't know, I've never been to another Muse concert, so, so forgive me if this is typical of a Muse concert. And it did not dampen our opinion of Muse at all. Love the music, but I felt like they could have done more, especially with that song. And I thought, you know, Muse is, teach, is singing about uprising against their capitalist 
the right. man. They're Western Britain, United States, right. that society. Which is exactly what Ukrainians, uh, the Ukrainian people rose up in favor of. Right, it's like, you guys had the wrong uprising. You were supposed to have a socialist uprising. Right. How dare you have an uprising and want to join the man that we are trying to uprise against? And meanwhile, their city still bears scars from the Soviet man. Right, so it was it was an interesting thing. It's very and I, dichotomous situation. I don't know if this was a factor, but at the end of the concert, we were just, oh, it was so great. And then we start cheering for an encore, which is what you do at a concert. 20 you minutes we cheer. Cheer, 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 play. And the crowd Nothing. is just all into it. They're like, nah, yeah, one more song, one more song. And I've never been to a concert where there isn't an encore right. as long as you're cheering. 20 minutes go by and we think, I guess they're not doing an encore, so right. we, we start heading out. As we start leaving the stadium, some guy has to come on the speakers and tell everybody to go home because there's not going to be an encore. Right. And I'm like, oh, that's so disappointing. Did, did Muse just want to play like an underwhelming concert and then leave? And then not play an encore? Were they mad? Like, how dare you have an uprising that wasn't, you know, against capitalism? And and then we're not even going to play an encore. And it was there was disappointment, but I felt like that spirit of... We're going to cheer, we're going to sing, we're going to, we, like, you can feel that energy in the room, but you can also feel that disappointment. <laughs> it was a very interesting situation. It's kind, kind of part and parcel of the whole experience. So much energy and capability, and then some external factor just, like, it's like, Muse, why didn't you play an encore? Now, again, if this is typical of Muse concerts... Forgive us. Forgive us. We do love Muse. Maybe they never play encores. I don't know. But it's it was very disappointing... But what was more disappointing is as we're heading home... We start feeling distinctly unwell. We had some beef kebabs at the concert. And unfortunately, they had been left out in the sun while they were being sold. Which and we did not consider when we ordered them and devoured them. Because actually, they were very delicious. Very tasty, but they also gave us horrible food poisoning. Awful We were stuck poisoning. in our wonderful apartment for two straight days. Unable to keep even water down. Could not eat a thing. So, <laughs> the concert had a mixed result, unfortunately. Yes. Now... After we got over about a food poisoning, we still wanted to go and see and explore, but we had sort of run out of things to do. So we got to go to the zoo, and we got to see these North American animals that were exotic to them and very routine to us, which made it a great cultural experience, actually. We also went to this folk architecture museum outside of Kiev, where they had these buildings, these replica buildings, of eras throughout Kiev's history. Yeah, they actually plucked them out from rural areas. This is Soviet era. They plucked these buildings out and rebuilt them entirely in the this this park. Right, and so it was very much a step into what was for them the 1950s and earlier, but looked much, much earlier. Yeah, so what, what old Kievan Rus type right. people, what, what the kind of buildings they had. They even had an old wooden church there. Right, it is... Absolutely beautiful. Absolutely fascinating. I it do is recommend a, you check it out. Right. It's a good distance outside of Kiev. It is a hike. We had to take a subway to the end of the line, a bus to the end of the line, and then we had to walk like a mile. So it's not easy to get to, but, but it's it worth it. But it is worth seeing. Right. So the last thing to keep, keep in mind is, is we really hope that you can go to Kiev one day. That sense of despair that we felt that while we were there, that sense of un, inability to get a, get an encore going. <laughs> I... I personally am of the opinion that I think Ukraine will get their encore. I think they will. They'll get their encore. Kiev will get its encore. They'll rise up against this oppression that they have been having. And I think that maybe when we go back, 
there will be a, a sense of victory that, that I think that, that will be a new one. So I really am excited to go back and, and, and our hearts go out to the people in Kiev. Uh, but I would also say that maybe if we go there, we'll spend one week. And instead of two. Instead of two, and then we will go to Lviv as well. Right. Uh, Lviv is a beautiful city. If you're in Ukraine, you have to go there. It's much more uh, classically architectured. But it was a bit difficult to get to. You kind of had to take a flight. And, and we very much wanted a break. Yeah, so we weren't really interested in, in, in flying out to some place. But it, what, what we found with Kiev was a place to relax, a place to reinvent yourself in a lot Absolutely. of ways. Because as an American, at least, it's an extremely affordable, extremely welcoming place. The people are so friendly. And we hope that this tragedy... This ugly, ugly situation... Means that Ukraine will get its encore. That they will reinvent themselves and hopefully, you know, we'll, co we'll go there one day and we'll see that, that uh, Motherland memori Memorial. And maybe it won't have the sickle and hammer on anymore. Or maybe that will mean something different. Right. So that's Kiev. Hopefully one day we'll be able to return. This has been Passports and Birth Control. Remember, don't forget your passport. Don't forget your birth control. Now what we have here is we have kvass. Now kvass is an Eastern European drink. This one in particular is Ukrainian. It's made by fermenting bread, which gives you an almost near beer. It's not quite alcoholic, but it has a bite the way kombucha has a bite. Now this one, like I said, is Ukrainian. And we're making a drink called a... Uh, Kvasia, and I probably mispronounced that. I apologize. Now, as you can see, it's dark and lightly carbonated, so it looks a little like cola, which I'll show you here in just a moment. We're going to do three parts of the kvass, and then you're going to add one part of Ukrainian vodka. You can use any kind of type of vodka, but because it's a Ukrainian drink, we're using Ukrainian vodka. So you're going to do one part of that. Now, finally, the last ingredient is cinnamon syrup. You can buy it, or you can do what we did and use simple syrup and cinnamon and make your own. And it's half a part of cinnamon simple syrup. Give that a little bit of a stir. Now this is mildly alcoholic already from the kvass and fully alcoholic from the vodka, so I'm not drinking this. Here you go, honey. Cheers. Mm, that's a kvassia. 